Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. I got my co-host uh, Brian Gold here and our new friend Shireen. Right. Welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. Great. I'm so excited to be here. Happy you made it. Thank you. Even with, you know, a little voice. Yeah, without my voice. <laughs> hey. I had a little spell there where oh. his voice was uh, gone for like, so he says, hey, let's do this podcast. And then like a few episodes in, he's like, he like, like sprained a vocal cord or something. And this dude has no voice for like, for like eight. four or five months. Yeah. Like eight months? Uh, eight weeks to like, I got something like reasonable back he was just quiet like kind of squeaking on the show and then people are like you're so talkative via text i'm like i have vocal cord paralysis i'm not being a dick i just can't talk <laughs> but, i'm happy you got your voice back thank you um yeah even that video i posted the other day from columbia i was like yep i had no voice yeah it was like very like but solemn. i was like Almost well there's no way to get around it so it is what it is i wasn't gonna dub it we made it work we yeah. made it work so How'd you get into this whole parenting thing? And by being a parent, I, I assume, right? <laughs> Just to start. It actually with. started way before I became a parent. Really? Um, without even realizing it, um, it started way back in undergrad. I I studied I studied fine arts, but I also studied law, and um, in particular criminal law. And I started working with um, teenagers in juvenile hall and at-risk youth um, who are on probation from juvenile hall. And when I started working with them, I first of all started noticing a lot of problems in the system, kids coming back, you know, kept coming back in, um, or them being, you know, very much misunderstood or people assuming automatically that they were trying to be disobedient or bad. Um, so from there, I wanted to help kids before they got to that point, before they were, you know, a teenager in juvenile hall. So I decided to become a teacher and I got my master's in education. I started by working in inner city schools. That's a big career trick. Um, so, well, so initially when I was working with people, with uh, teenagers in juvenile hall, I was in, I was a university student at that time. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so then, yeah, so I, so I, my career I started was, was um, getting education. into education. Yeah. So I got my master's education, started working um, as a teacher. Um, and then I, then I got married, had kids. And then I was like, wait a minute, you know, first kid was fine, no problem. Second kid comes along. I'm like, what do I do right now when one kid, you know, wants the other kid's toy? Or there's just like a lot of, or one kid is throwing a tantrum. There are all these questions I had. And so I started asking, started asking pediatricians, you know, different parents and all the answers they were giving me just didn't resonate with me. You know, if your kid, you know, pulls a toy away, be really strict with them or um, put them on a time out or get louder. And, and those things end up thing leaving us parents depleted and it leaves our kids with no tools. Mm -hmm. So I realized there was really very little information out there um, on, to help parents. There's no guidebook. There's no book. There's no guidebook. Um, I was, you know, we were talking earlier and I said that if you want to, any career you go into, you know, acting, medicine, engineers, teachers, lawyers, you have to go through a certain levels of education. You're not just going to go, uh, you know, and hope that your surgeon knows what they're doing or hope that your pilot can figure it out. But as parents, which is, I think one of the most important jobs, that's what we're expected to do. So um, that's when I started getting into 
posting on social media. It just happened very slowly, very organically, slowly got over my fears of being online. And um, and it was well received because we're all hungry for the information, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I'd consider myself a new parent and like we're at the preschool stage and which way to go. If seeing her interact with some kids, she meshes well, other kids push her and then she pushes back. I'm like, well, I don't want her to get bullied. So don't be afraid to push back. Right. Um, I don't know if that's right, wrong and different, but at least she knows. Right. Well, then, then there's so many of those questions that come up. Yeah. So I started gathering kind of just like all the knowledge I had from being a teacher, from working with kids, incarcerated youth, and also from the way, you know, I was raised. Um, and also started gathering a lot of information from things I was doing, you know, wrong that didn't feel right. And just saying like, okay, how can I do that in a better way? How could I, f what's more effective in maintaining the parent-child relationship and simultaneously giving my kids tools so that they will actually improve in the future? Yeah, my mom was a yeller. Um, I mean, we respected her, but she was she was loud, um, you know, quick mm -hmm. to, to scream. And it seemed to be the case with a lot of my friends at the time. You know, I was born in 81, so like the 90s kids, basically, or even earlier than that, 85 to 90, where you're like in that real impressionable age before we can really just talk back. <laughs> I think after like 11, 12, they can kind of pretty much make us draw a line in the sand or something, you know? But yeah, I definitely, and I find myself reverting back to that, like automatically wanting to be loud or, uh, you know, it's an immediate response of like, uh, you know what I mean? I guess it's, you know, we're sponges. So we see our parents doing and we kind of, you know, replicate these, yeah. these things, whether we know better or not. Um, but yeah, like you said, there's not like, having a game plan for handling certain situations before you get into them. And I mean, you know, people are having kids, you know, not as young as, as we used to, I feel like, but in the same sense, nobody ever gave us a guidebook on, on a lot of things that are really important in life. Like, I feel like marriage, kids. <laughs> high school, we should be getting prepared for like, you know, how do you actually manage a household financially? Right. Um, you know, uh, spiritually, uh, emotionally um and deal with all of these things because we're like taking these young adults and then telling them to go do this and then just saying yeah the rest of your life you just go figure that out for yourself right and okay. there's no real guidebook on it nope absolutely and then a lot of parents you see just i've seen strollers like walking around there's a cell phone holder and the kids are just not even experiencing what they're walking around seeing you know? Yeah. The kid watching. Yeah, yeah, the kid. That screen time is a whole. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about that? It's it's dangerous, huh? I think that if you use, if parents use screen time, um, I think a lot of parents think that their kid kind of needs it. They kid kind of needs to decompress. They need a little bit of that time. I think if a parent uses screen time, it's really more if the parent needs it. And if you sometimes need it, then I, you know, it's totally understandable. It's a, tool, right? it's a tool. Sometimes we get overwhelmed. I personally, we try to do very, very little screen time in our home, but I understand if parents do use it sometimes. If you do do use it, you really have to go and in, go into it with a plan. Mm -hmm. 
But the problem with screen time, one of the problems with screen time is that we're to kind of not giving our kids opportunities anymore to work through boredom. We're not giving those opportunities anymore to work through arguments, to kind of explore more of those um, uncomfortable moments in our lives. You know, or like if, if a kid is acting out and they're just all over the place and the parent needs to cook, then and then they go on the screen, the kid is getting the message like, okay, I could just be off on the side. I don't really need to be such an active member of the of the house. Mm. What happens when they're teenagers and the parents want them to help is all of a sudden they're like, wait, this is a message I've been getting. I've been kicked out of the kitchen. I'm going to play video games. I'm going to go right. be on the screen. Right. Even if they weren't screaming, if, if they were a nuisance and the parents in a rush, you know, and just want to get things done. It was so much more effective, let's say, to involve the kids. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get them to stop screaming. It's going to get them you know, give them something to do, and it's going to make them be an active part of the family. So, I've seen something online um, yesterday about raising kids the Italian way, and it was basically about them not not getting a separate menu, having okay. to be involved in dinner. Obviously, Italians are very family-orientated with everybody sitting down, uh, oriented. My wife tells me that I say that orientated isn't a word, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, it's very family oriented um, and they try to include the young children in that, like you were saying, it's asking them to help or set the table or do this and not giving them the option for nuggets and, and mac and cheese and whatever else. They kind of just have to eat what everybody else is doing. When it starts um, at, at a young age, it's just natural. They're not going to necessarily you know, know that there's that. a hard stop yeah and little kids love to help they have the energy they have the desire it's usually the adults that are kind of pushing them away because they're not going to do it as well as the adults i find when i ask my daughter to help me with something she's much more inclined to do it versus saying hey can you go do that for me but say hey do you want to help dad go walk the dog or go take out the trash okay let's go yeah and that also brings you into like special time together that's your also quality time together that's a bonding mm -hmm. as opposed to when everyone i mean now a lot of times households are everybody is in a separate room on a separate device yeah getting a separate yeah. feed i'm guilty of that one yeah but really the um the i would say one of the core ways of getting our kids to you know really listen to us when we need them to is having is having that uh, having a bond with them having a relationship with them and having kind of just that um foundation with them so that when we do need to kind of teach them that they'll be more apt to listen to us if they're sitting on a device and you're on a device and nobody really has much of a relationship then it just turns out to our relationship nagging at them telling them what to do whining complaining directing controlling it's not healthy it's not healthy. I mean, it's, yeah. it's not a relationship. Creating a bad dynamic. It's a very dictative uh, relationship, right? It's uh, losing an opportunity to really connect with our kids and to really build something. And then you also really get to know them better. The more quality time we spend with our kids, the more we understand where their um, uh, actions are coming from. We'll better understand how to respond to them, what works best for our kids. It's all valuable data that we're getting just by being with each other, in addition to the bonuses of spending time, you know, with one another. It's a very fun process. <laughs> Listen, in this day and age, everyone's busy.
right? Everyone's busy. We're all busy. So not everybody's going to have, you know, I, I work with a lot of parents who are just like, they're working until really late at night. When they come home, they just want to decompress and be on their phones, which I get. But all those few hours, like between school and the parent getting home, the kid was like so excited for their parent to come home. Yeah. I always tell parents, you don't need a lot of time necessarily with your kids. You it's quality. It's, you need quality time, which means your phone, our phone needs room. to be away. No nagging, no complaining, not even asking a ton of questions. Yeah, they know from like a, a very, I have a one-year-old, so they know from a very young age that they're vying for your attention between the device and themselves, right? Right. Immediately, they're like smacking it out of your hand because they know that you're here and not present. Yeah, this is the first generation that we've had an actual device yeah. between us and our children. Wow. And it's constant or it's on our wrist or I mean, it's, it's everywhere. I, I travel a shit ton and it's my daughter knows how to FaceTime. It's a blessing and a curse all at the same time. I'm like, well, I'm halfway around the world, I'd love to see her. But on the other hand, wait till she gets her own iPad and she can just call and learn how that's to not happening anytime soon. That, that's when it gets really wild. Yeah, I'm like nonstop back to back to back to back. <laughs> it's it's saw, cute and like a I saw my wife much. pretty much commandeer my iPad and then now my kids trying to take it. I'm like, nope. Yeah, I mean, that's where that's where yeah there's definitely bonuses of having it i always say also one more part about the quality time is it should be screenless it's like not just not necessarily quality time watching a movie together it's fine to watch a movie together but if you're actually making an effort for quality time, playing drawing whatever yeah. it might be but you know facetime is when it, it can be really beneficial or if you want to leave like if you know if your kid has a hard time transitioning every morning when you go to work and you want to make them a one minute video for them to see when they wake up it could be beneficial mm -hmm. But that's different than it being kind of like our go-to with boredom or just like calming our kids down or, you know, keeping a calmer household. Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, I, my sleep schedule sucks. So I'll lay in bed in the morning till she wakes up and she sleeps between us and I, she wakes up at nine. She sees my face. She climbs on top of me, gives me a hug and goes, I want a snack. Right, let's go get a snack. So special. It's you know, real. but. I get grilled from some people. They're like, oh, why do you still let her sleep in the bed? Well, in the last year, I've been home six months. How old uh, is your daughter? Two. Two. I don't know any 22-year-olds who are still speaking with her. You'll be fine. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Like, enjoy this time. I co-slept with all of my kids. Like I, all of them in the same bed at the same Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. And sometimes on occasion, like maybe on, like once, like on a weekend night, Sometimes we'll still do it because it's fun and it's just like a, a special time together. Yeah. Uh, my kids are, I had three kids in three years, so they're all close in age. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, the, every kid is going to learn to sleep through the night. Every kid is going to learn to sleep on their own. Every kid is going to learn to, you know, I pushed all my kids in the stroller for naps and people ask me a lot. I'll grow out of it. It's fine. Because I have multiple <laughs> kids as well. And uh, they, uh, they ask, oh, like, at what time do you do this? At what time? It's like, everybody's like on a clock of like, I have to get this done by this time or you're behind or, you know, even it starts young, even at the doctors where they're like, oh, well, this is a scale of like what needs to be happening. But like you're saying, I mean, we all uh, adjust and learn at our own pace. And it's like, there's no like, some kids don't talk to their three. My little brother Dakota didn't talk till he was three. He never said a word. 
And then one day he said a full sentence and everybody looked at him like <laughs> Where the he was the youngest in the house. And we're like, oh, the kid can talk. <laughs> and he just like, but he just had no, I mean, everybody just did things for him. He had no reason to, to be verbal, I guess, you know? So it's not like, and I mean, he's perfectly fine now. He didn't have any developmental issues, right. even though we thought it was very strange that he was three years old and he wasn't talking yet. I never shut up from the time I was like one. So <laughs> my mom thought it was weird that this kid wasn't right. wasn't speaking, you know, it, but everybody's at their own pace. There is no timeline or judgment or yeah. whatever's working for you and your family should be oh, yeah. the focal point. Right. And developmental milestones in a way could it's kind of good to be aware of them just in case you do need to have I mean, there's amazing professionals now who can help just to make sure that it's not a developmental mm -hmm. issue. But I completely agree that um, if, if certain things it feels right, if it works right for your family and the whole world is kind of saying the opposite, you know, for example, sleep training is a huge thing. The majority of people are doing it. It's not whatever felt right for my for myself or my family. Yeah. All my kids have all my kids now sleep through the night. It's fine. You know, they'll get there. My five year old was sleep trained. Um, my daughter, that's seven, was not. She stayed in the bed for like till she was like three or four. And obviously he was like totally different because he was like sleep trained from like nine months old, which was had its advantages, obviously. I mean, you can leave. The one thing is, is like early on, you can have other people babysit the kids because they're sleeping. He goes to bed and he's not even going to wake up. You know what I mean? He's going to sleep through the night and anybody can kind of watch him and getting him on a schedule and a program. It kind of helped with everything else. But the process of getting him to that point was like super traumatic for us as parents and him, I'm sure as a child, you know, it's like, right. Uh, going through that intermediate time where you got to let them cry themselves out. It's like, it's, it's, I'd have to leave the house. It's a lot. No chance. Yeah. It's a lot. It, it was a lot, you know, but, uh, we had professionals help us with that. But, uh, with my new daughter, we're not necessarily on that path. She's one, she's still in the bed. You're on the Brian path on that one. <laughs> yeah. I, like, like, I embrace the fact that I get to wake up with her and have that time uh, so special. bonding, you know? Yeah. It's not going to last forever. Exactly. I know that this goes really extremely fast. You especially know because you also have a 21-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> it, it just flies. And next thing you know, they're five and then they're 10 and then they're gone. And you're like, oh, wow, that was, you know, you think it's going to, it's taking forever when they're one to three. And then all of a sudden time exceedingly just gets faster and faster and you're like, damn, I wish I would have spent more time holding on to them when they were little, you know? Yeah. And that's one thing that can help us kind of stay calmer in the moment, actually. It's, it's an, it's a, it takes some practice from us, but thinking ahead, like, okay, my kid is dangling on me and does, or won't let me go to bed or won't go to bed themselves. And just thinking like, well, this is, my kid's not going to want to sit on my lap pretty soon. Like this might be one of the last times. Yeah kind of helps us stay calmer to be like to get through that moment if if you're not in a place to be calm with it <laughs> or want it yeah that time what are your usual like first recommendations for parents that are coming to you in in certain scenarios what do you get most often that people come for help there's a huge i mean there's a a lot of it's just basic like my kids not listening my kids throwing a tantrum um, as they get older, it gets a little bit more like, you know, their kids are really attached to their peers and not listening at all to the parents. And I think that the foundational 
step for pretty much almost every situ situation that I hear of is um, re rebuilding that connection between the parent and the child do by doing things like 10 to 15 minutes of quality time together a day or weekly dates, like one-on-one -on -one weekly dates, just kind of building the relationship so that you can have those then those opportunities to actually teach your child who they won't want to receive it if you're always angry at them. But if you have that connection with them, they're more likely to actually listen to what the parent has to say. So I always start with really the foundational steps, giving kids a little bit of space, you know, not always hounding down like all of our requirements. Um, you know, just like give it, in a given day, like think about how many things we tell our kids, sit ups, don't eat like that, eat quieter, don't be so loud, come here, go there. It's just, yeah. it's constantly not stop. And then they start building like a counter will. They don't really want to listen to it anymore. So taking a little bit like of a step back. Um, and the way to do that is to think about your non-negotiables. Pick a couple of things that are really important to you and the rest of the stuff be a little bit more flexible. And then with the things that are important to you, for example, my two non-negotiables are safety and hygiene. Hygiene is really important for me for my kids and, and safety. It's not the time then to then become like the strict parent, the mean parent, I'm forcing you parent. And then it's the time to put our energy into thinking outside of the box. How can I, in a creative way, in a way that'll maintain the dignity of our relationship, um, teach my child or get my kid to do what they need to do? Yeah, I like that. Um, hygiene obviously is very important and safety as well. So they know bath time is and, and brushing teeth and stuff is important. Yeah. You don't, you don't bend on those, but you know, it's a little more freedom because you're right. We do, especially when they get into like the, the bigger toddler stage and it's like constant of like, yeah. you know, they know better, but we should still be cutting them a little slack. So it's a little overbearing, you know? Yeah. I would say like, um, you say like the terrible twos or three majors. I, I think that it, yeah, it almost skips. Well, my, my new daughter is one and she's a handful. So she'll probably be like, the twos will probably be a little rougher. My son was like easy as hell. And it's, I think now in the four and the fives where he's kind of like caught an attitude a little bit and been right. going to school, he was the sweetest little boy. And now he's like, you hear a lot of bros and like a little <laughs> when you tell him to do something and I'm like, oh, okay, he used to be like, yes, Papa, or for better or for worse, they learn things. <laughs> better or for worse, they learn things from school. What did she say? My wife said, uh, Chance, uh, he was playing a video game one day and it was like a Monster Jam game and he wanted to do a donut and he couldn't do it, but she couldn't do it either. And he went, she said, so fast, I went from like being like, the, the love of his life to you're trash, bro. And that's what he told her because she couldn't figure out how to do a donut. I was like, oh my gosh, this kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it goes by fast. <laughs> but also like those years that are considered like teenager, you know, teenager years, three majors and terrible years, like all those like kind of have like the t typical um, stereotype for being a little tougher. Yeah. It's because they're in transitional stages of their lives. Yeah. Right. They're moving out of either for, you know, the, and the toddlers are moving out of that baby stage where we can just do everything for them. And they're like, okay, put on my clothes, choose my clothes, tell me what to eat, put it in my mouth. Um, where they, and they want to be big kids. And teenagers are moving out of that kid stage. They're not really ready to be adults, but they, you know, they're, they're, they're both transitioning. So it's a little bit, a little bit tougher 
for the kid to go through it and for the, also the parents to give a little bit more space and figure out how to walk them through it. Yeah, I'm adjusting with my 21 year old now too. True. She's still learning how to not be a kid. She still thinks she's a kid. And I mean, she is, I guess. She is. Yeah. She's always gonna be yours. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be as difficult as people make it out to seem. For which part? Just the- Parenting? Yeah, the terrible twos, the teens, like you, like you said, you have to have your non-negotiables. You have to have your non-negotiables. Look, parenting is hard. I think the hardest part about parenting, my personal, is working on ourselves to constantly, you know, try to be quiet, uh, not quiet, try to be calm and try to think outside of the box. And, and we see really a lot of our own flaws, our own impatience, our own tempers, and working through all of that. When you, we have tools and when we're prepared, yeah, it helps. It helps it goes more smoothly. I wouldn't say it's necessarily easy for everyone, but it makes us feel better at the end of the night. We don't feel depleted from when we get angry. It makes us feel um, like we're actually giving our kids tools, like we're actually helping them. And we know what to do in the moment. I was telling Brian earlier, I was like, there's no parenting instinct for how to handle a kid yelling in your face, I hate you. There's no parenting instinct for how to handle like one kid hitting another kid. Yeah. She'll hit me and I'm like, Wait, there's no, right, there's, what do you, I'm just like, I just say, what do you supposed to do in that moment? I'm just right? like, hey, you don't want to hit other people. Right. I'm like, but when you're prepared with tools for that, then we, then we're less reactive and we could help guide our kids for, okay, through practice, not doing it anymore, do, handling it in a better way. Yeah, I let her abuse me a little too much. <laughs> She's gonna get stronger. <laughs> Those kicks hurt, especially when they're in the head and they sleep sideways. <laughs> oh, that's accidental. Yeah. Sleep kicks don't count. Oh no, she she'll be awake and do it and think okay. it's hilarious. <laughs> She's she's uh, running the show over there for sure. Dude, she stands on my head and just starts laughing. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Um, let's talk about your programs a little bit. Um, I know you have some uh, uh, different types of bundles of parenting help. Um, I have online digital courses for parents. Um, I, I have a, um, I do have them individually, but I always recommend them as a bundle um, because everything's connected, and I want parents to have access to it all. So um, I have online digital courses on improving behavior, on um, resolving sibling rivalry, and on managing meltdowns. Um, and they're all things that people can watch from their home, um, with their partner if they have one, at their own pace. And they're really, really short, but impactful videos because parents are busy. No one's gonna sit there and watch you know, three hours of content. But if, it's, if, it's, if I say I have 10 to 15 minutes right now, I have 10 to 15 minutes of tools that are really, really gonna help your family, then you're gonna be like, okay, I'll watch that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's a good timeline. Yeah, anything longer than that when, you know, you're pulling your hair out with your kid and all right. that fun stuff. It's like, I'm gonna sit there for an hour and then right. I'm gonna get distracted with this with the kid or we're... And it's just too much, inf it's just too much overload of information. So it's all broken down into little topics, into little segments. Um, and then there's printable guides for parents who, you know, some people are better learners when they write things down and also read it alongside of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I really wanted it accessible to parents globally. I wanted it accessible to people that could watch it from anywhere at any time. Um, because there is not that, like we were saying earlier, there is no guidebook out there that really 
you know, a lot of the advice that's given out there is nice in theory, like, you know, be nice to your kids or be calm at bedtime or like have quality time together. But how do you actually do that in practical terms? And that's what I wanted to transfer over to parents is like the real, the real practical tools. Like, I also like your comparison videos that you do on Instagram of with your daughter doing it, you know, the traditional way everybody's used to and then flipping it to your way, seeing the different reaction. And it really makes a big difference. A lot of people think like, oh, well, that's fine on an Instagram video. But in real life, my kid would never. But like, I've had parents that be like, well, what happens when you try? And then they've tried it and they're like, oh, it actually worked. And then I did it again and it actually worked again. So it's not just your daughter. It, this is. It's not just my kids. These not, are kids. Yeah, I have daughter. I have two girls and a boy and it helps. And not every one thing works for every single kid. Of course, every kid is different and every parent is also different. You're not gonna want to do every tool that I'm suggesting, you don't have to. That's why there's a ton of tools to choose from, you know, to see what works best for your family. But always leading with connection, it works. It takes more patience. Yes. It definitely takes more patience. Um, we're kind of in the, we're in the microwave, we're in the microwave generation. Yeah. We want everything fast. We wanna put our food in 30 seconds later, we wanna be eating it. And that's why um, punishing kids is so, it just seems like such an uh, ideal way of, not ideal, but it's just like people think it's effective because they temporarily and quickly see results. But what's actually happening is you might get your kids to be quiet in the moment. You might get them to stop a particular, you know, thing that they're doing by sending them to their room alone, or whatever your punishment is. But it, in the long run, they're left feeling victimized, angrier, they're they're not gaining any tool set. They're not going to want to learn from you. They're angry. And so they're left with no tools. And so then it goes on repeat. And so when they're really little, you can give them a little punishment, a little consequence, or like raise your voice a little bit. But what happens as they get older and older and they get louder and they get stronger is that either it won't work anymore. I mean, either you need to get louder, you need to get stronger, your consequences and punishments need to get tougher. Um, um, and then they start doing that also in turn. At some point, you can't carry your kid and toss him in a room, lock him in a room. At some point, that's not going to work. So the goal is by the time they get to the teenage years is not to be so strong with people think that I'm going to be so tough with them when they're young that they're going to respect me when they're older. And they're going to be so tough with them when they're younger. They're going to be out of there the second they can. They're just gonna be gone. There's gonna be not much relationship left. It's gonna be a lot harder to gain that relationship back. As opposed to if we spend all these years trying to lead through connection and education and, and giving them tools and practice, hopefully then by the goal is by the teenagers, they'll have a tool set that they can use and we'll still have our relationship with them, a solid relationship with them. Yeah, I, I see a lot of, uh obviously they're little sponges and as you intensify the the yelling or or the people that choose physical uh punishments or whatever it is i see that kids tend to you know you see kids that hit other kids and get physical or use these same tools that their parents are using with them when they're not happy in a situation at school or somewhere else that they're like it's pretty obvious where that's coming from, you know, if my kids come home and tell me that somebody tried to push them or hit them or something and it's like, okay, well, this is obviously something that he's used to or she's used to in their environment. And right. now that's what we're teaching them, right? Is yeah. that this is how you solve these 
right. these issues when you don't like something that somebody's doing instead right. of having a, a more diplomatic. It could be that those kids are being hit by their parents, but kids who aren't hit also hit. A hundred percent. I'm not going to put that on everybody. But yeah. Right. Because um, they have so many emotions in their tiny little bodies yeah. and they don't have all the sophisticated tools that it takes to label their emotion, figuring out what's bothering them, and then to be able to calm down enough to communicate it in a healthy way. So it's so they just let it out in their bodies. Mm -hmm. um, but over time, absolutely, over time, those kids who are letting it out with hitting can learn to do it in a different way if they're being taught. Otherwise, it, it will go into their adulthood. Yeah. Absolutely. How do you feel about pods? For schooling. School pods? Yeah. I think that if that works for your family, great. I mean, if you're able to give your kid a solid education, good teachers, I think that um, there's a lot of benefits to both. And there's no necessarily right way. There's not, you know, some parents can homeschool, some parents could, you know, just individually that you could do pods, you could go to traditional schools. There's definitely benefits to all of it benefits to a pod is that it might be more of an individualized, intimate, um, intimate educational system. And um, no matter what, of course, it's important to still have that social aspect, right. um, which you can even get if you're homeschooling one-on-one. -on -one. There's a lot of outside classes and opportunities as well. Um, a lot I, of school is socializing skills, right? I think most of school. is programming of like, Socializing skills, yeah. Yeah. Especially in the app at the same time, we eat at the same time. Well, uh, I was telling him because we had the pod conversation yeah. and I was saying that like in preschool, they kind of, you know, it's easier for them to be defiant by themselves with their parents than it is like, okay, I'm separated now. Now we know that our teacher is uh, in charge. our leader here and, uh, and the little tribe kind of follows in line, even the ones that aren't as sped up it's kind of like they don't want to nobody wants to be the kid that's not that's not following or drawing in the lines in a lot of those scenarios so they kind of like keep up with the pack and kind of learn to follow along with the with the teacher's leadership no it depends it depends more so maybe with younger kids yeah I'll step in really quickly and say that it's not even um, defi. I don't. I wouldn't even use the word defiant. Mm -hmm. I think that kids are really comfortable to be themselves with their parents, and so they can kind of let out a lot of their feelings and thoughts and emotions more comfortably with their parents, and that's actually a good thing. It doesn't feel so good <laughs> to the parent, but it's actually great because it's an opportunity to teach our kids in the safety of our homes. Um. A lot of it also can bleed into the classroom as well once kids are more comfortable with their teachers. But yeah, a lot of times they're more comfortable with their parents. As kids get older, um, and this is a lot of where bullying kind of might come in, if, if kids don't have a stable adult presence in their life, a relationship in their life that they can kind of cling on to and ask for guidance with, from and... Um, just an adult that they're really attached to, then they're gonna start attaching to each other. So instead of learning from an adult who's wiser from them and be able to grow that way, they're gonna just be kind of trying to learn from their peers. And that's never... <laughs> <laughs> that's dangerous. That's, yeah. that's dangerous when you get to that point. 
Um, and so that's where a lot of times kids might, you might see kids who aren't really attached to um, a safe adult veering off and being really um, kind of like the black sheep leader of the classroom. And it, these days, it's not necessarily seen as a bad thing amongst peers, unfortunately, in a lot of schools. Um, the one who isn't doing their homework, the one who's being mean, a lot, in a lot of schools, those are the the more popular, you know, the bullies now are the, a lot of times the popular ones and the other kids are kind of just like following them because they don't have some necessarily another person to follow. Yeah. I mean, they do, but not, not one that they're attached to in the same way as their friends, as their peers. Mm -hmm. Then I see the good and the bad to the pods as well throughout time. What do you see as... Um, let's say a negative? Honestly, not that much, especially if you got six kids together and you know, they're getting the socialization plus they're doing the other classes, soccer, whatever the heck you put your kid in. Um, maybe just not as used to like big group settings, you know, classrooms of 30 versus classrooms of six, but then you're getting the individualized attention and you're actually going through it a hell of a lot faster like you did when you were going through school because you were doing it one-on-one. -on -one. Were you homeschooled? For off and on. And then You're I was that like predominantly most of the time. So, I mean, I wouldn't consider it real schooling, but in a certain sense, my uh, my grasp of self-learning and everything else is way accelerated than most people at a young age because I was around a bunch of creative successful people that treated me as a peer and not as a child from a young age you know? right so it's a different education but also yeah like he's saying even in the homeschool which was like very new back then right and only focused on the industry itself probably uh i was able to like fly through stuff obviously because i wanted to get through it as well and i'm a fast like self-learner but yeah i mean i can go through weeks of work and and hours you know what i mean and like get through courses right. and things of that but uh do you feel more self-motivated because of it i mean now i know that it was uh yeah because i know i can teach myself how to do anything and this is before youtube where kids really have the access to right. some sort of anything now, <laughs> and right? adults right yeah, yeah this was just from reading books and different things but that was also from like being one-on-one -on -one with like you know social workers because they'd have to be on set we'd have to do two or three hours a day. I forget what the time limit is uh, while you're working anyway. But uh, it was definitely an accelerated one-on-one -on -one path. And obviously these people that chose this line of work aren't dealing with 30 kids in a classroom. They're dealing with like one or two or three. Right. And are probably, you know, in a better position to focus on that. You know, they maybe their job is a little bit more cut and dry because it's a little bit of a less better disciplination <laughs> yeah of course less time discipline yeah um it had its benefit i'm sure um it also you know i missed out on a lot of normal childhood milestones as well because i didn't have that normal well you were working i didn't have the normal <laughs> upbringing you know? right. i didn't have class trips or proms or dances or these things like i don't, I don't you know i was out of school by the time i was 16 so it's a give or take, but yeah, things are different now too. Yeah. You know, back then that was very, very, very rare. It wasn't a, a normal case. Right. I think since COVID, a lot of people, um, before COVID, I think homeschooling had a really bad rap. 
you know, oh, the kid's going to be awkward. They, you know, people thought that the child might be socially awkward. Yeah. Or, um, but since COVID, I think a lot of parents were like, heard what was happening on Zoom or saw that there was another way to get their kids educated. And they're like, oh, actually, I like you know, they like it and they see the benefits of it. Mm -hmm. So it's really what works for your family. Yeah. And you get a monitor as a parent a little more. How do you feel about it? Did you do Zoom parent, like Zoom? During school, COVID? COVID with the kids? So no, I, um, during COVID, um, I, I stopped, we, I couldn't, I was like, my kids are, I'm not going to have my kids. Maybe my kids were young oh, okay. and I used to be a teacher. So I'll start by doing that. I had the opportunity to do it. I didn't want my kids behind the, com the screen all day. Um, and, and they just also, it was hard for them too. At, at, at a young, for young kids, it was really, really, I mean, oh, the thing was hard for all kids, but really hard for, especially for young kids. So I think after about a week or something, I pulled them off and I homeschooled them myself mm -hmm. um, for about a year and a half. And then they started. And then, and then when they went um, to school. Yeah. And then they started school. Yeah, um, my uh, wife is a kindergarten teacher as well. So that was her background before. And uh, obviously with that, it makes you feel more comfortable, like knowing that the basics are going to be, you know, she knows how to get through that with the teaching them how to read and lesson planning for ABCs and one, two, threes and right. basic arithmetic and stuff of that nature. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much the core elements of civilization right. as I look at it, you know, and then you get into other things later on in, in, in history and, and that type of stuff, literature. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, that comes a little later, but start sprinkling it in here and there. Yeah. So are your kids? Um... My kids are in school. In school. Yeah. My uh, five-year-old is in kindergarten at a private school. Um, he went to preschool there his whole life. My daughter went to preschool there as well and did kindergarten there. And then now she's in Woodland Hills CES, which is a good public school here in, in town. Um, and uh, we left Chance in the kindergarten at Discovery because it's my daughter was obviously extremely advanced for going into the public school system in Los Angeles from okay. being in preschool and, and uh, private kindergarten. They're just she was a lot ahead of a lot of people because of that you know they had been going to school since they were two they're just used to oh. that program of like right i get dropped off and i get picked up and this is part of the deal and we know this so when kindergarten came they were pretty pretty well advanced um but my daughter's really into it and uh she was like really into doing schoolwork and you see you know yeah. naturally you see this with females a lot of times and then my son we were kind of worried about him because he's like didn't want to do any of that or write or do anything. He just wasn't into it. But uh, this year so far, um, I just got a report back from his kindergarten teacher and he's super bright and can handle all of it and process it all. So we were a little worried, but he just wasn't interested in it. He wasn't it. ready or a lot of it comes down to like just the te you know, their yeah. teacher also or the their readiness and their whatever. teacher. Yeah. I don't think there's one right answer. I think it depends on no. your kid. Yeah. And just what your family, what works best for your family. Yeah. And I also don't think any of us were designed to sit in a box for eight hours. We're not. No, that's definitely true. That's why I get so upset when I see like. As an educator, go ahead. But is, as an educator, you've obviously seen this and you've dealt with troubled kids and things. And now you're a parent. And uh, 
yeah, this is a thing that obviously we're taking our kids from the time they're young and we're dropping them off with somebody else and we're going to do our day-to-day -day things that we have to do to survive in, in, in life and then picking them back up and not really knowing what's going on in these scenarios or what's being led or taught or who. Right. I mean, that's one reason. You hear reason. a lot of good stories, right? Right. I mean, that's one. You said you do or don't hear a good story. I mean, we hear we hear a lot of bad stories mostly, not so much of the like the the special great moment. Yeah. There's exactly. a lot of incredible teachers out there, mm -hmm. and there's also people out teachers out there who, you know, are tired and exhausted and meant well, but they just they're on overload. Um, and so, as a parent, it's really important to be our children's advocates. You know, if your child, you know, if, if your kid is, if your kid is the one who's making, you know, every, everyone laugh in class and is being loud and is up and about and your teacher and their teacher wants to put them, you know, take their recess time away. I'm, I'm a strong proponent of like, you need to go and speak with the teacher and say, my kid, like, that's the kid who needs their recess time the most. Don't take it away from them. Right. Yeah. So we need to go and, and approach the teacher from like an, not an attack point of view like what are you doing my kid needs this but like you and i both want my kid and all the kids to have the most successful year possible you know let's let's can we i would like to think of ways together to do that i know that my kid you know being kind of on the same team trying to find figure out a goal like my kid re really needs let's say that time that recess time or kind of just uh, the more also that the teacher hears that the parent is involved you know they're more likely to think twice before certain things. Yes. And I mean, I really believe that most teachers have a good intention and people they went into this field because they're like loving, caring people who have, you know, really like kids. But then the reality sets in, like I was saying, overload exhaustion mm -hmm. or just also being given, teachers also are given a lot of really bad advice. You know, reward charts I think should not exist. Punishments I think should not exist. When I was a teacher, I never punished any of my students. I also never rewarded any of my students because then you have the opportunity to start building intrinsic motivation. Yeah. Um, what about grading and scaling and these things? Like So you don't really have a choice. I mean, undergrad, I went to UC Santa Cruz, so I didn't actually have grades then. And I saw the benefits of, um, I was like, wow, I actually, I, when I didn't have the pressure of getting a good grade, I was like, wow, I actually really love learning. So, um, but, at, you know, in the traditional school system, you don't really have that option. Why is that? Is it because it's rewarded based off of merit or the system? Standard, itself? I mean, the, the system standardized itself, there's standardized tests, so then you go into high school and from high school you get into college and it's just kind of, it's a problem. I don't really know the history of it. That's just the way it's developed over yeah. time. But as parents, we can do what we can. For example, if your kid is coming, if your young kid is coming home with three hours of homework a night and doesn't have any time to play and explore and be creative, I always recommend go talk to the teacher. See where, see where you're, there's a little bit of flexibility. Even though it's a structured system, we have more influence on it than we might, mm -hmm. than we might think. Yeah. You're making me like the pot a little more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean... Listen, every classroom, I've had great experiences with my kids' teachers. I've yeah. just seen a lot of what's out there. When I was, when I was um, in in my grad, when I was at the, in my grad program um, at UCLA, um, we would go into a lot of different inner city schools, and we would observe classrooms, and we weren't allowed to say anything. 
And there were so many horrible things that I saw. For example, a teacher who put this six-year-old to stand on a tile facing a wall. Or, and this is like the teacher's doing it in front of us. Yeah, they didn't. I care. can't even imagine what's they going imagine on when there's not an audience. Yeah. Or another teacher who like, there's a student who's, you know, fidgety. And the teacher, a third grader, made this third grader sit on her hands during the duration of the class. Like, like okay, no, you give this, this student, give the student a fidget toy. Or the student can't sit down, allow the student to stand and work. Or allow them to chew gum. I mean, there's different things that teachers can do that don't have to resort to those types of, like, you know, disciplining, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. A little barbaric. Uh... Um, that's, I wouldn't say, there's also, again, amazing, amazing teachers. It's not typically necessarily what happens, but it, I've already, you know, I already saw it. <laughs> I've seen In it several myself. classrooms. Going right. to private school, going to public school. I saw it all. All right. Some teachers were great. Other teachers didn't want you to grow and Or they didn't have this or they didn't have the skill set, just like a lot of us parents don't go into it having. You know. We need to be involved if we send our children off to somewhere expecting somebody else to we're very entitled as a culture in American culture in general. Like we feel like we're entitled to certain things and that these people are supposed to do their job in the system. And if they're not doing it well, we're complaining about it, but we're not actively being involved in the situation. Obviously we're the biggest teachers in our household. So without our input, regardless of where they're going off to or, or not, we're kind of not setting them up for, for success. Right. Not yeah, actively if you're not being, being their advocate, you're saying, yeah. Right, we need to be their 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 advocate, a participant. Yeah. And um, these days, a lot of times, the teachers are spending more time with our kids than than and parents are. are. Oh yeah. Um, so really working together to see how to make, you know, what's most successful for your kid. I saw some stat, and I don't remember it exactly, but pretty much teachers are raising our kids, or help is raising our kids, and we're not really raising them right. anymore. And it's whatever values that teacher or nanny or whoever it might be that's watching your kid is getting pushed onto your kid and it's not coming from you. Right. So if you're not involved on the school level of what the curriculum is, how the teacher's teaching it, then you just got to pray that whatever they're teaching works. But that obviously isn't the solution. No. I mean, we really, um, spending time with our kids or being there, Mary, you know, it, it's not, it's not like, it's not a luxury. It's kind of like we have to do it. Like there's, you know, parenting is not a convenient, it's not convenient. No. It's just not. We need to. We need to make it work. We need to. We need to figure out a way. Of course, people are working, and real life happens. But that's why the practical tools come in that that make it so. Like, okay, even in real life, this is how I can have a successful relationship and um, ways of raising my kid. And by the way, you could try a pod. You could try a pod pod for a year and see how you like it. And if you want, you can continue continue on the next year. It doesn't have to be a lifetime commitment. Oh, yeah. Whatever. Whatever we just six months into it, I can pull the plug and say, "All right, this doesn't work. Right, let's go try a regular school." I mean, I think for basic preschool, kindergarten areas, it's going to be perfectly fine. It's whether or not you can provide uh, engaged, active uh, uh, curriculum later on, where it's a little more demanding on its, you know, its pace. You know, uh, it's it's not. It's finding the happy medium. Yeah, I mean, 
we also want kids who could like think for themselves and be yeah. creative and and i think that's i was in special ed from sixth grade through first year of college and i remember ninth grade english class the teacher looks at us and there's like nine students in the class she goes i'm teaching you all to work for somebody else everybody stayed quiet minus my dumbass. i was like fuck you i'm gonna go build something that resulted in me and the principal's office oh she meant that i thought there was some like oh, no, to no, what no, she no. or she flat out said that and i yeah. just said fuck you no and i ended up in the principal's office and the principal's like i'm gonna call your father perfect person to call call him tell him to come in he lives four minutes down the road my dad comes in the fuck you doing teaching a student let alone a special ed student that they have to work for somebody else that's what you're going to program in their head and that's when it kind of clicked in my head of i'm going to kind of do it my way over the years and i became successful and i didn't work for anybody else how come you were if you don't mind me asking in special ed like why staging nothing major but they shoved me in there and it, the, i mean was that was that even the right place i mean or are there other i think i needed just more hand holding more than anything right um and i would say 90 percent of the class was exactly same thing they needed just more hand holding and then you know you got ostracized for being in those classes because everybody knew that was special ed class for whatever curriculum you were learning that day well i think she was being honest with you though but it's unfortunate <laughs> that's the unfortunate well, that was the unfortunate plan. But I mean, they kind of are training. They are training. What they're training. Yeah, and that's them. kind of. Not that there's anything bad with working for someone, no. but just kind of saying like, it sounded more like she's telling you, I'm teaching, I'm going to teach you how to be like no, she a, a diligent robot, like an obedient it's robot. That's it, yeah. Well, no, she flat out said like, hey, you guys aren't going to work for anybody. You're going to, you're not going to work for yourself. You're going to end up working for someone and you need to follow these rules and it was a quick lecture and I, I don't take shit and my mouth usually gets me into more trouble, but. But <laughs> ended up being um, a step toward your success, actually, it sounds like. Yeah, and that's kind of why I go on the fence about the pod and the school and just my own experiences going through special ed, going through private school, getting kicked out of private school and banned, got my sister banned with me. Um, <laughs> because I another teacher just drove me nuts and just talking shit and i talked shit back at a very prestigious private school and it didn't go very well it's like cool i didn't want to go there anyways public school let's go yeah that probably didn't go over well at home <clears throat> my dad he was actually, happy to save tuition money <laughs> my dad was on my side for that one was he i wrote a very nice letter to the teacher sixth grade or some shit and looked at my mom and said she started it i just finished it and you did the kevin hart my mama told me to tell you <laughs> oh i don't even i'd have to ask my mom for like the full story but <laughs> that guy like, said that i don't know i just getting involved <laughs> on that level because my parents only got involved once i got into shit it wasn't finding out the beforehand that's the point and i got into a lot of fights i Got into a lot of shit with teachers. I just didn't want to be there and I was rebelling for multiple reasons and they weren't involved. And even once they stepped in a little bit, all right, teacher left me alone or I moved schools or moved classes, whatever the heck it might be. But that wasn't the real solution. It should have been prevented long before I got to that. Right. 
this that's the point because that's what it comes down to a lot for younger kids and even as you were saying as teenagers is that a lot of times adults step in when it's when it's bad when it's hard when they when they want to you know when they're upset about something and you know kids have kids need their attention cup filled daily if we're not filling it with a bunch of positive attention and connection then they're, they're, they will go for the negative attention. I'm not even saying you were doing it for negative attention or not, but if when once they step in just for the negative attention, there's no connection there. There's no foundation for them to actually wanna to listen to the parent. And so that's what we need to try to avoid is to step in before it gets to that point. Yeah. Step in when things are also good or even just neutral and to be a presence. And just be aware of, you know, Hey, when are you checking in with your kid on what they learned in school? Yeah. Um, all the stuff going on in the world that we won't discuss. Just are you staying involved? Are you okay with the curriculum? What changed in the last week at your school? Whatever it might be, whatever your views are, is it does it align with your core values? Right. And so there's a lot of moments throughout. There's certain moments throughout the day where we're more likely to get information from our kids. Yeah, they're, they're going to tell you not. This is a big thing because my wife, even in in preschool and kindergarten would before she sent the kids home she would remind them of everything they did today because regardless of whether they were a participant in it or not when they get in the car they just tell you i don't know we did stuff well what are the parents asking how was your day really yeah. general question yeah. how was your, your day? day it was good what, what did, did you, you have do? a good day yeah, yeah. right but it's, it's kind of you know they're kids right. they tend to like Right. I add this, and then you see a picture of like he held a shark today or something like later on on the on the website, and you're like, you, that's all you told me. You told me you did this, right. and you forgot to tell me that there was a snake at school, right. and you forgot and those minor played details. with the yeah, yeah. <laughs> that they so, tend to be like. Right. And there's ways of bridging that yeah gap. Like um, some kids just love to talk, but for a lot of the kids who come home and are quiet, I mean, you know, give them their after school snack, give them their time to decompress a little bit. And then to ask specific questions like, did any, you know, like we'll have a game at my, in our dinner table called who here. And it really keeps our kids involved at our dinner. And it's like, who here, um, you know, painted with watercolors today, who here ran a race today, who here did helped a friend today, who here, um, answered a question or got upset today, you know, all, all of these things. And then you just ask these specific questions. Then that leads to conversation. The other time of the, of the day that kids are really um, more inclined to open up is bedtime. But what happens at bedtime is that everyone's exhausted. Parents are tense. Kids want connection. Parents want to be left alone and go to sleep or want their kids to go to sleep so the parents can have a little time. Um, so it's also really important to have like ways to keep things calm around bedtime so that so it could flow more easily because that's the time of day where kids really start opening up um when you have a calmer time at night and their body relaxes they're like oh mom you know this person was so mean to me or this happened with my teacher and so really setting up like um like you were talking about our kids for success really setting up a situation where our, an environment where our kids can be calmer and we can be calmer also helps with communication and just kind of learning more about their life. And our kids aren't gonna know necessarily how they're feeling or know what triggered them. The more time we spend with them, the more we're able to figure those things out as well. Yeah. 
like one topic came up last week discussing with other parents of setting up a pod. Let's start at 8 a.m. I laughed. I was like, I don't get out of bed before 8 a.m. <laughs> I was like, how about 9.30 or 10? They're like, well, that doesn't work. I'm like, then I'll figure out another solution because I'm not rolling out of bed that early. I don't want to hear noise at that hour. Like, I want to wake up at my pace. In his defense, the pod's at his house, so that's why he was like, <laughs> not wanting the 8 a.m. thing. Yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. I told him, too. I said, bro, like, you got to start at, like, a, a decent hour. 9.30. 9.30 to 12. But I get, I get that, though, yeah. Plus, Madison, like, the other night, she sacked out at 12.45. That's what time she wanted to, you know. She got all hyped up with Grandma and then didn't want to wind it down. And then finally, 12.45, she's exhausted. Like a.m.? Yes. <laughs> I was so, so fast before then. <laughs> well, because if kids don't sleep at a like, um, kind of like an earlier bedtime, their cortisol levels spike and they get this second yeah, wind. Normally, she's out harder to fall asleep by nine, and she goes nine to nine. We had that circadian rhythm talk yesterday with our hormone uh, doctor. Actually, oh, oh yeah, mine's just yeah. yeah. His is all over the place. So. I'm special. Yeah, Wait, but... so you have how old is she? how old are how... but you have more than one? Just, oh, just one. one. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we haven't started school yet. No. <laughs> We're on the discussions of figuring it out. Yeah. Uh, Preschools are a little different too, like John's was saying. Yeah. Like it's, it's a little more drop off pickup. I think even at the first, they pick up at 1230 anyway. So but they're also smaller classes, yeah. like one teacher per six kids, I think, typically. Yeah. And it's kind of like a pod in a way. It is. Kind of. Yeah. Have you ever been to Discovery where the kids went to school? You've never been home. Mm -mm. So in the main hall, before they get separated into classrooms, there's like, one, two, three, four, five, six. There's probably seven different little pods that they're in with their one or two teachers. And they're all like kind of in like a main hall where they have like curtains separating them almost, you know? So it's a really good like little program where they might see a friend that's in a different class than them, but like that they know from elsewhere or whatever, but they still have their own little space and community. They are kind of like little pods in a sense. That's pretty that's much what it kind of sounds like. They are. Yeah. They're just, it's set up with a whole bunch of little pods in a room, basically, and they kind of do their own things with their, you know, obviously different caretakers are different caretakers. They have different right. traits methods and, and methods and, and programs, but they all kind of have a similar get them on the structure of, you know, we get in, we settle, we learn, we have an activity, we do lunch, we go outside and play. We do like, it's just the basics of this is the flow of our day to get through it. Okay. Then we take a nap. Nap's important at those things. Um, is she napping? Hour and a half to two hours. Same time though, or? Depends on what show did that day. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important that you get like some type of. Semi-routine. Yeah, you have to have like some. So important for kids. You know? We have, um, I know she's up 8.30 to 9. That's the only routine I know yeah. about. And then I. It's Usually important the to get the nap times right and the eating at the same times type of thing because these are the structures they're getting into. Yeah. And it, it also helps them from being extremely anxious because they don't know what's coming next. Right. And so they don't know what to be prepared for in those situations because you're not setting them up for, oh, okay, I know I get up. I know we have breakfast normally. I know when you see like really calm households, you tend to see that their routines are like, yeah. Set like in stone, well, you know, like great. 7 p.m. dinner. Versus, yeah, it's the yeah. Over and over, it's because I mean, school is the same. Unfortunately, the prison system is 
treated the same way. The military treats things the same way. They get people on a routine because it brings structure and calmness and everybody knows to kind of follow along the path. But with kids, it also, I think, I think structure also helps them be a little bit more autonomous. Um, If they're independent, if they wake up and they know what's coming next, they're able to do that next step. I think there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of actually benefits to it. Um, As long as there's some flexibility within the rigidity. (laughs) Um, So they're not scared. Um, There's so many benefits of of having routine over having routine and structure that avoids so many unnecessary tantrums like from being hangry or exhausted and they end up on a flow of like in the natural uh pace of their day they know what to expect they know when something's coming and and it helps uh and it makes it easier on us as parents as well you know then she knows when to wind it down and all that other fun stuff yeah i mean being able to put chance at bed at seven and then now eight like clockwork every night my kids don't argue with me when they go to bed right it makes it so much more they go peaceful. take a shower and after they eat and they go to their room and they go to bed and that's it right. and there is no real argument about it or nothing he might oh i wanted to finish watching funny videos or i wanted to do this but for the most part he knows that what time is it you know what time it is it's bedtime <laughs> <laughs> and they just kind of go off and do their thing you know so yeah, I mean, maybe sitting down and starting a schedule. That'd be my some other... type of of uh, of. That'd be more my other department, but nap, lunch, <laughs> bath. Yeah, I do bath time. That's usually like seven thirty. Yeah, yeah. With with the sleep training, they would cue you even as like, so when the professionals like give you a program for that, that's all scheduled. So they literally they do dinner. They do bath time, they read a book, and you put them down. And that's what starts that like separation of that thing. And it's that list of things one after another that prepares their body and knowing that, okay, this is safe time, this is quality time of reading, this is time for me to go to bed. Even for me, who I never, like I mentioned, didn't do sleep, I didn't do sleep training. Schedule is huge. I'm very much into schedule and um, really helps the parents <laughs> and helps the kids. Yeah. Well, Definitely. for those listening out here, that one good step is we've seen that <laughs> scheduling probably is a... Even is outside a of like the sleep training, just having a constant schedule. Breakfast is at this time, lunch is at this time. Yeah, it helps. It helps a lot. Oh yeah, kids will know if they're on a schedule before they can even read time, they're like, I'm hungry. And they'll see, look, look at the clock. I'm like, oh, it's their snack time. It's their dinner time. Yeah, they know. Humans are like creatures of habit anyway. We see that we do and rotate to the same things usually. So, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter what time zone I'm on. I'm usually like hitting each meal same time when I'm here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is there anything that we missed that you want to share with uh, some parents and people out there that need uh, that, that, you know? I think well, one of really important thing for us parents to keep in mind um, is that. We all know that we all know that perfection doesn't exist except in parenting if we do something wrong we all feel like you know wrong we all feel horrible we feel like horrible parents we feel guilty and i think it's really important for us as parents um both toward ourselves and toward our kids is it's just to really be mindful that we're all going for improvement we're not going for 
perfection and everything right. we're doing is is just steps toward toward improvement and um it doesn't and change doesn't have to be big it's like little little daily things that we do that actually really do make a big impact on our parenting on our relationship on with our kids and where can everybody find all of the uh the bundle program material so uh, my course bundles are on my website um which is newviewparenting.com it's n-u-v-u newview is n-u-v-u parenting.com and i also have a ton of content on um on social media um at shirin.galili you can spell I'll, it for them i'll link it right down. i'll link it down below more. yeah yes um, um, and i'm also TikTok really excited as well or just instagram i'm on I'm I'm also on TikTok. Yeah. I'm mostly on Instagram. It's a longer form. I started a YouTube page like two weeks ago, so okay. it's getting started there. Yeah. Um, and they're like, you'll see, they're like thirty-second videos and like t with tools that are really, really helpful. Awesome. Um, so everything I do is just, I just try to be practical and I'm really accessible. I love when parents email me or reach out or DM me or, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're having trouble out there or you just want to. You know, get some tools that you can use to make the day easier and to have a better connection with your kids. And, you know, we'll point them in your direction for sure. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was great thank talking you for with you both. Yeah. No, it's a blessing. And uh, we love having this. Uh, we're both parents and we love having this, this dialogue because it helps us as well. I mean, a lot of this show is to help us grow as people. So we appreciate your time and, and uh, your sharing your story. And, you know, we have some things to think about in our own, in our own home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for your time we appreciate you appreciate thank you. you thanks guys uh like comment subscribe we'll see you next time guys